Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Roto World Football Show's Week 4 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Corain, and in just a few moments here, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Roto World team who blurbed the game's force. We're going to be diving into all of the important fantasy football from this week, some injuries to get to as well, and we're going to be talking about all of the additional context that you need to know beyond the box score, plays that were called back, how guys looked, what teams were doing, what they were trying to do, things were scored in garbage time, all that good stuff. Let's get to the games. The Giants defeated the Bears 20-12, to and the Giants are now 3-1 and for the first time since 2011. Lawrence Jackson, the Giants got the win here, and Saquon Barkley had a huge game. Yeah, um, that, that was pretty much, uh, that was all that was huge as far as this game goes on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it worked, and again, the Giants using defense, and Saquon Barkley to churn out these wins. And no matter how they're coming, they're getting them. And they're 3-1. Either way we go, either the Giants or the Bears is going to come out of this 3-1. Uh, and one. But, uh, you know, old school football being played out there. So we knew that Saquon was going to get a ton of work here. I think even knowing that, seeing that he got 31 carries in this game is – Kind of wild. He went for 146 yards, 4.7 yards per carry. Did not score a rushing touchdown. He also had uh, two receptions for 16 yards on two targets. I saw that at points he was taking direct wildcat snaps because Daniel Jones was dealing with, a, I believe, an ankle injury. Tyrod Taylor, the backup quarterback, was uh, in the locker room, so they like literally didn't have a quarterback that could take a snap at one point. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. So – uh, Daniel Jones got injured uh, at some point early in the fourth um, ankle, and it was serious enough to where Tyrod Ty Taylor came in the game. They taped up Daniel Jones' ankle, but he didn't re-enter the game. Enters Tyrod Taylor. He goes deep the first play. It's a pick. He actually threw it deep to Slayton. Um, the next series, Tyrod Taylor, while converting a third and long on a run, he took a hit straight to the head. And he was out of there, concussion. And you know they ain't about to play with no concussions no more. So he, yep. he was out of there. So at that point, for a whole series, Saquon Barkley took the snaps. It was running Wildcat. And uh, he handed it off a couple times to Matt Breida. And it was actually effective for at least one series. 
the Bears caught on and they were forced to bring Daniel Jones back in the game. And that's really when they relied on defense. And then Daniel Jones, all he had to do was hand off the ball, but he was clearly hobbled. And it's definitely not a guarantee that he playing week five. Yeah, so Daniel Jones, before he got hurt, he had two rushing scores, only a second career game with two rushing touchdowns. So he was quite effective on the ground. You know, before the injury, he had 68 yards on six carries with those two touchdowns. But he did not throw for many yards. He had 71 passing yards in this game. Daniel Bellinger led the team with 23 receiving yards. Tanner Hudson was second with just 18. Barkley was third with 16, which means your leading wide receiver for the Giants in this game was Darius Slayton going one for 11. Yeah, it, it was not a pretty sight in the passing game on either side, to be honest. Uh, and for the Giants, yeah, Daniel Jones was really effective running the ball. In fact, on two of those rushing touchdowns that he had, they were both bootlegs. That's because Saquon Barkley was running the ball so consistently. All you had to do, and he and Dan, the, the best thing Daniel Jones did this game was carry out the fake because it worked. But first you had to run effectively, which Saquon did. Uh, to, I mean, to average 4.7 yards per carry on 31 carries is pretty good. Uh, so, so Dan, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. He Daniel Jones actually had a couple. He had several runs uh, off the off the read option. So it was clear what Saquon was was making the defense cave into the middle, and Daniel Jones was able to uh, turn that into sixty eight yards rushing. On the Bears' side, uh, a similar dynamic where Justin Fields had 52 yards rushing. He didn't uh, score uh, either passing or rushing, but he, he had 7 for 52 as a rusher, 7.4 yards per attempt. He had only 174 yards passing on 22 attempts. Darnell Mooney led the team with 94 receiving yards, but yeah, just not a ton of receiving uh, production on the Bears' side at all. Yeah, no, nah, and you know, well, for there's here's one thing. Justin Fields threw it 22 times. That's the most he's ever thrown it in the game so far this season. Uh, the chunk of those 174 passing yards that he had was actually on a 56 yard bomb to Darnell. It was a beautiful throw, hit him right there. Great catch by Mooney, and this was early in the game, so it made you feel like they was gonna try to be more aggressive. But that just didn't last. He, uh, the guy ended up getting sacked six times, and he was pressured a lot more than that. So the Giants were in his face all day. So they really couldn't, they really couldn't pass the ball if they wanted to. Uh, so he did what he could. Uh, he was effective with his legs, and Khalil Herbert was pretty decent running the ball as well. So that was pretty much their offense. It was pretty. These two offenses were mirroring each other, except. You know, one team had an elite running back and the other team had, you know, a pretty decent running back. Yeah. So how did Khalil Herbert look here? He had 19 rushes for 77 yards. Tristan Ebner mixed in for six for 20. Yeah, it it was clear that Tristan Ebner was there, you know, to spell Khalil Herbert, much like Khalil Herbert would be doing for David Montgomery. Khalil Herbert was consistent on his runs. He he would get stuff here and there, but he was consistently running, you know, four and five yard gains. But it got to the point where, you know, hey, this guy got 19 carries. We need something in the passing game. But every time they dropped back, it there was pressure. And as you can see, um, 
Khalil Herbert wasn't involved in the passing game either because there wasn't many passes to even be had there. So, but I mean, for, for not scoring a touchdown, he had a pretty good uh, fantasy day. Yeah, he did actually have uh, 24 receiving yards, but only on one reception and only on one target. And as you mentioned, there just wasn't wasn't much uh, to be had in the receiving game. I'll note Cole Komet had three for 16. Um, Trevon Wesco had one for 23. So, yeah, just as you would expect, not a ton of receiving production. Anything other to note here before we get out of here? Uh, not really. This was pretty much what you would expect. You know, Khalil Herbert going to have this role as much, as long as David Montgomery out. Uh, the Giants will continue to at least be in ball games if they play defense and just feed the hell out of Saquon Barkley. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. All right. The Eagles defeated the Jaguars 29-21. to Philadelphia is now 4-0. For the first time since 2004, Patrick Darty, they went to the Super Bowl and lost in the Super Bowl that year. Oh, science. I think you just laid out no need to really play out the rest of the NFC season. They will be in Super Bowl 57 or whatever it is. And what a bummer they're going to lose. I know. I know. It is true. Yeah, it's a shame. Jalen Hurts will be puking in the huddle, I guess. Uh, throw a <laughs> shout out. The Zoomers don't remember who Donovan McNabb is. Is this uh, is A.J. Brown the T.O. in this? Yeah. yeah well, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't mean he breaks his leg. Um, oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah, that would be bad. But really, really, really weird game. Um, Jalen Hurts is second scoreless game through the air but he again compensates with a rushing touchdown stuff going on with the weather here it was another weather game uh, but it affected trevor lawrence a lot more than jalen hurts so jalen hurts had like the big early miscue kind of a a ball that was just late to zach pascal for some reason was targeting zach pascal just really late on the throw he got housed for a pick six um after that he like stayed within himself because it was windy it was the wind was affecting kicks was affecting passes on the rain was creating big time fumbling issues, but not for Jalen hurts. It was a big time, horrible day for Trevor Lawrence who lost four fumbles. Uh, Even Daniel Jones would blush at that. Uh, He threw an interception as well. Big, big time, like, uh, you know, stumbling block game for a guy in Trevor Lawrence who's made genuine strides forward this season, but uh, box score pyrotechnics just weren't really possible for Jalen hurts. Considering the weather, they rode the running game. Career high 27 carries for Miles Sanders. Career high 134 yards for Miles Sanders. Uh, you had a tweet to affect Miles Sanders' scoring touchdowns, so it must really be a messed up day in fantasy football. He scored two of them for the first time since 2020. Uh, so it was, a, it was an off script day in Philadelphia. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let me ask you about Trevor Lawrence because this was the, uh, you know, I think. Coming into this game, I wrote in the walkthrough saying, like, this should really give us a good sense of how good the Jaguars actually are because it's strength against strength. The Eagles were not very good against the ground, but the Jaguars, that's not their strength. Their strength is a passing game, but the Eagles are quite good at defending the pass kind of all around. Good secondary, good pass rush. How much of this was the weather? How much do you think was the Jaguars getting a little bit exposed after a hot start? and against a really good defense. I did see the, the pick that he had when targeting Christian Kirk. That looked just like a bad decision. And you mentioned the fumbles. How much was really on him today? Yeah, the pick was a bad decision. That, that was like a really like lazy floater, kind of near the goal line. And James Bradbury just easily jumped the route. And 
So it profiled is a tough matchup, like you said, on paper for Trevor Lawrence. But Darius Slay played only like a series or two and departed mm. with a forearm injury. Really, really hope his arm is not broken. So he got a big break when just Darius Slay departed early. But yeah, the Eagles line never really let up. Um, one or two of the fumbles was just kind of the pocket collapsing into Trevor Lawrence. I mean, not that that's not an excuse for uh, fumbling the ball constantly. That's going to happen to you in a football game, but. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if it was more the Eagles. It was more Trevor Lawrence, this kind of, yeah, team. It's just so many things. Like I said, the run game, you know, it was going to be the strength, but they killed so many drives to the turnovers. They could never really get the run game in sync. And this volume opportunities on the ground were limited because one drive after another was killed by the, by the turnovers. The passing volume wasn't there. O- only 11 completions, only 23 attempts. Cause that will happen when you kill five drives. Uh, with turnovers and I, I would say it was maybe I, I was about to say like a not a welcome to the NFL moment for Trevor Lawrence since he's been in the league two years but a welcome to 2022 moment against a really really tough you know Philadelphia Eagles defensive front and really 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 bad weather it the two of them created a very toxic brew for Trevor Lawrence yeah and Christian Kirk here was the leading receiver two for 60 on nine targets Jamal Agnew had four for 50 um, but you know two for 60 is not very good for Christian Kirk after a very strong start to the season. Marvin Jones only had one target and did not catch a ball. Any just thoughts on the receiving core here? Zay Jones, we should note, did not play in this game. It, it, it seemed like maybe – I forget who tweeted it, but made the probably correct observation that um, no Zay Jones kind of forced Christian Kirk to the outside more, and Jamal Agnew was getting some of those slot reps, and Christian Kirk's always been most effective out of the slot. And you know, only two of nine on his targets, so – Really, really inefficient day. He had a bad drop. He was the target on the interception, but the interception was Trevor Lawrence's fault, not Christian Kirk's fault. And, yeah, the observation may be uh, Christian Kirk likes when Zay Jones is there, so he can chew up those outside reps along with Marvin Jones and that maybe Trevor Lawrence really likes targeting the slot because, yeah, Jamal Agnew, I think he entered the game with two catches and he comes out with two touchdowns. Um, Kind of creative usage of Jamal Agnew. One of his touchdowns, he was lined up in the backfield – the other, he did kind of explode out of the slot. Um, so I think maybe the takeaway for Christian Kirk is he wants Zay Jones there. Um, so he doesn't have to spend all of his time matched up on the outside against really tough boundary corners. But the really tough boundary corner and Darius Slay barely played. So kind of just to throw the game film in the trash day for the Jags, really. Not a great look for Doug Peterson, given that Cliff Kingsbury was uh, sharp enough to keep to keep Kirk in the slot all of last year, even after injuries. I mean, he was playing Antoine Wesley to keep Kirk in the slot. You, so. you remember, I'm not a film grinder, so if maybe for all I know, he only spent like a little time on the boundary. But it definitely seemed like he was not spending as much time in his beloved slot as he normally does. <laughs> uh, let's talk the receiving game for the Eagles. Uh, A.J. Brown had uh, the most receiving yards here, 5 for 95. Uh, Jalen Hurts did not throw for a touchdown, so no one had a touchdown here. Dallas Goddard, 5 for 72. Uh, Devontae Smith only had 3 for 17 on four targets. Miles Sanders actually had more receiving yards than him with 2 for 22. Yeah, it was another maybe maybe the weather to blame here because, again, 16 completions, 25 attempts for Jalen Hurts. They diagnosed early, like, hey, it's probably a good idea to ride the running game today. The Eagles had 50 rushes. Uh, kind of a throwback to 2021. I, I don't think it was a change in philosophy. I think it's another one of those weird games that's going to look really weird on like the spreadsheets and the charts, but the spreadsheets and the charts will not show that it was swirling rain and wind again. There was literally 
affecting throws. And I, I don't think we have to worry about the Eagles like suddenly going back to their 2021 approach. And the takeaways were pretty positive, I thought, for A.J. Brown, who five catches, 95 years. He was briefly blue-tinted on like the opening series, but he's had at least five catches all four games now. He's had at least 69 yards, 68 yards all four games. Uh, Devontae Smith, you know, more disappointing, but – on days when the passing volume's down, the secondary guys are going to see less volume. Even if it's, you know, kind of Devontae Smith had been more than a secondary guy the past two weeks. He also spent some time in the blue pen, blue tent, and he was out longer than AJ Brown. He spent like a series or two trying to like get himself back in shape. He was never announced with an injury, and he did return to the game. But he he definitely seemed limited by something in the second half. As you noted, Miles Sanders had a career day today: twenty-seven rushes. I mean, that's kind of wild for what we expect from Miles Sanders, 134 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell also had a rushing touchdown here, going five for 19. Trey Sermon got involved with two for 19. Any thoughts on the rushing attack? We know it's obviously going to be not this voluminous going forward. Yeah, it's, my main thoughts would be a pretty disappointing day for Kenneth Gainwell, even though he vultured a touchdown from Miles Sanders. You know, Boston Scott's out. They attempt 50 rushes, and still only five of them are Kenneth Gainwell's. I just don't really see any reason to hold on to Kenneth Gainwell like a normal redraft league. Most people had probably already dropped him, but uh, you know, I think you've talked before. There's maybe some contingent value with Kenneth Gainwell. Just, just no standalone value whatsoever. We're now a quarter through the season. That standalone role has not materialized. Bye weeks are starting. Injuries are mounting. And I just think you, you probably have to cut Kenneth Gainwell loose in redraft leagues. Yeah, certainly in your shallow leagues. I mean, Hey, this is a this is a run first team now, Pat. So there's a lot of contingent value. Twenty seven rushes uh, should be kind of game well. So. Fifty rushes for the team. Yeah, I mean they they've yeah. thrown the car in reverse. It's back to twenty twenty one, folks. <laughs> All right, let's move to the Cardinals who defeated the Panthers twenty six to sixteen. A stat going around noted by uh, Rivers McCown and in our uh, in our message <laughs> messaging client here said that. The Panthers are now 1-26 and 26 under Matt Rule when the opponent scores at least 17 points, including 24 <laughs> losses in a row. 17 points, Pat. That's like barely any points no. for an NFL offense opposing you. I mean, just a horrifyingly bad stat. And, you know, <laughs> a tradition in our Slack and on NFL Twitter is to spend every Sunday demanding for Cliff Kingsbury to be fired. And then he still easily beats Matt Rule. And well, Cardinals losing 10 you about Matt rule. I know exactly. So the Cardinals losing 10, three at halftime, both quarterbacks just awful. They both had, I think 90 yards on, they both had 90 yards and they both had almost 20 attempts at halftime. Baker Mayfield had 20 attempts at halftime. Uh, Kyler Murray had 19 and they combined for 180 yards. Just putrid, putrid, putrid first half football. But then Cliff Kingsbury is one of the faker sharps out there, and yet he still had adjustments, and Matt Rule didn't. The Cardinals just took over the game in the second half. This being the Cardinals, it still featured like all kinds of crazy penalties, lots of really bad game management. The Fox cameras caught Cliff Kingsbury and like, Kyler Murray like screaming at each other. An F-word or two may have been involved. Uh, the, the Cardinals at one point were kind of in danger on maybe having to punt on fourth and goal. Like that's how bad they're, they had like two 15 yard penalties. It was a really, they did end up salvaging a field goal <laughs> from the drive. But I was oh, like, man, man they might I, wish, I wish we got that. I was like, man, they might actually have to punt here. They salvaged a drive, but yeah, they got some answers. 
Um, kind of just Kyler Murray hooking up with Marquise Brown over and over again. Uh, really kind of heating up that connection. Marquise Brown now has at least six catches in three straight games. I think maybe 11 targets in three straight games. Not a good 2022 debut for Rondell Moore. Uh, I think it was three of five for 11 yards. His longest gain, he had a big gain down the right sideline, but uh, kind of like he didn't need to, but he, he was like way out of bounds. He was like one of those things with like horrible awareness where he was like running like two yards out of bounds. I'm not really sure what was going on. It was not – not an encouraging play, I'll say. That's where he's used to being. Yeah, true, true. Good point. Uh, so, yeah, weird day for the Cardinals. Not a weird day for the Cardinals pass. He did – he out-targeted Greg Dortch 5-1. to one. So, the Dortch season could be ending. Uh, sad moment. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, if Ron Moore's not ahead of Greg Dortch, then uh, it's even more disappointing than the 3-for-11 line he debuted <laughs> His, his first touch was a negative four-yard rush. Oh, yeah. It was a negative four-yard rush on fourth down in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really, really critical play. And it was a jet sweep where he just got hammered for a loss. <laughs> like it, was, it wasn't one of those like, where he like almost got it. It was like instantly blown up. Real bad look for Mr. Cliff Kingsbury and Mr. Rondell Moore. So Marquise Brown seems like someone we can trust, as you noted. He's getting consistent volume. Zach Ertz weirdly seems trustworthy, six for 47 and a touchdown here. Uh, what about James Conner in the backfield? Because every time I looked up, it seemed like you know Benjamin had the ball, but he did only have five rushes to Conner's 15, but Conner only went for 55 yards here. You know Benjamin had 36 yards. Uh, you know Benjamin only had one target, but was James Conner – oh, he's targeted three times for catching three for 22. So he had a lead, I guess – throughout but still lost some valuable work here to you know yeah you know it was looking a little more explosive too but i think it was just kind of a fluke and one reason you might have felt like you're always seeing you know benjamin uh, this is like a pointless fact to get on the pocket he had to handle two kickoffs matt prater got hurt and apparently you know you know benjamin is the backup kicker and they had him do like two line drive kicks i think the, the panthers muffed both <laughs> both of them so he was really shining as a kickoff specialist all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, the t- the workload is what you wanted for James Conner. I think 18 or 19 touches. The production was not what you want. You know, week at Cliff Kingsbury spent the week saying, hey, we got to get the running game going. Because uh, he was right. They do need to get the running game going with the stagnant as the passing attack's been. The production is not really there. You know, another scoreless day for James Conner. Like the feared touchdown regression is striking after his ridiculous 2021 touchdown total. But that's getting to the point where it might boomerang back around the other way because. Eno's involved as like a change of pace guy, but James Conner's totally unchallenged in the short yardage and goal line situation, unless you count Kyler Murray, of course. Um, and I think James Conner, nothing that like got me off of him is like a locked in RB2 on Sunday. On the other side, uh, we did note that things were pretty bad in the passing game. And in, in the chart, <clears throat> one of my charts in the walkthrough, I was calling a, a specific part of the chart and not a very good part the Baker Mayfield zone of sadness. And he lived up to that name here. Uh, But Christian McCaffrey, this is uh, some positivity here. He had 81 yards and a touchdown as a receiver, getting nine receptions. I mean, this was what was promised here for McCaffrey. He only had eight for 27 as a rusher, but nine, 81, and a touchdown through the air. I mean, that's what we want to see. He was the leading receiver on the day. Yeah, basically zero rushing production, like you said. It was eight for 27, hammered for a lot of short gains, but the receiving production that doubled his previous 2022 totals, which you know, made no sense how limited his receiving box scores has been. A team like so low on playmaking right now, 
uh, has this you know, all-world weapon. It didn't make any sense that his receiving numbers weren't better. They did get that going. They got him a touchdown where he got uh, lined up one-on-one and Zayvon Collins and just easily, easily beat him. Like It seems like maybe a better coach would be finding more mismatches for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and he didn't look uh, hobbled. He was playing through the thigh injury. There was some scuttlebutt. It was a genuine game-time decision. He seemed fine in that regard. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was a positive. Nothing else about the passing game was a positive. Where It, it was weird. Uh, something you could spin as a positive is DJ Moorhead, by far his best receiving game of the season. The problem is it was six catches for 50 yards. And if that's by far your best game – that just shows you how down tremendously bad DJ Moore and this passing attack is. But by the end of the game, Baker Mayfield was getting just like booed off the field. Uh, <laughs> he had two intercept. He had five batted passes at the line of scrimmage. Ooh. One of which became an interception uh, Two through two picks on the day. There's basically no idea where the ball's going. Just not just no arm drive, just not an imposing passer whatsoever. And it, it seems like, they're playing the 49ers in week five. It just seems like things are going to get worse before they get better. And I, I don't think Baker Mayfield, as bad as Sam Darnold is, I don't think Baker Mayfield can survive under center as a starter. You know, if something does not change in the next two or three weeks. Yeah, I, I don't think maybe you realize quite how bad it's gotten in DJ Moore world. Uh, this is legitimately positive. Six for 50. <laughs> I know. DJ, <laughs> we're happy. The DJ Moore guys are happy. It's yeah, he, had a, he had an 11-yard rush, too. I mean, yeah. hey, folks, 61 yards from scrimmage. That's what we signed up for, right? <laughs> right. As I cry. So do you think when Sam Darnold gets back, do you think he will start for this team? I mean, I would say Baker Mayfield is actually somehow performing worse than Sam Darnold did last year. But then it's also extremely close. And I do think Baker, it's weird. I, I almost feel like Matt Rule could get fired before he's even allowed to make that decision because uh-huh. Matt Rule is squarely in the firing zone. I mean, you're probably listening to this podcast on uh, October 3rd, four weeks for ho- before Halloween. I, I would say it's better better than 50-50 he is fired for Halloween because this team is just totally listless, totally lost. Um no identity whatsoever. And you know, wasting good defensive efforts. They, they are just screaming out for a change. All right. Pat Darty, thanks so much. You have two great games. <laughs> the Bills defeat the Ravens 23 to 20. Denny Carter, this is a game where the Ravens really struggled through the passing game, only throwing for 144 yards. Lamar Jackson has been great against the Blitz this year. But as we know, the Bills do not blitz. They don't, and it turns out that might be the best way to play against Lamar Jackson because uh, that offense, whatever, however it's constructed, was not constructed to beat teams that just sit back and play uh, coverage and do not blitz the quarterback. We've seen Lamar go bananas against two teams that blitz on the regular. Uh, I know especially the Dolphins lead the, lead the league in blitz uh, rate, I believe. Uh, not so with the Bills, and they really struggled to move the ball through the air. Uh, Lamar had a, a decent day on the ground, but that was that was strictly through necessity. You know, it was it was lots of scrambles. It's being flushed out of the pocket. It was having nowhere to throw the ball, and you know th- those those passing struggles trickled down to uh, to everyone. To you know, Mark Andrews uh, had a, had a slow day. I think 15 yards for Mark Andrews today. Um, you have uh, Bateman 
three catching three of the six targets for 17 yards. Uh, Devin Duvernay actually led in yardage, 51 yards on four catches. Uh, so again, Duvernay somehow sort of comes through the process, the process, the process. But still, uh, it was it was an ugly day for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And you know, the Ravens announced a a, a strange uh, Monday afternoon press conference. Uh, hmm. and, and, uh, we're not sure what they're going to talk about, but I have a feeling it's going to be about offensive coordinator, Greg Roman. We'll see. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the weather here, I, I would imagine had to play some, yeah. some role here. I mean, uh, just talked with Pat about how it definitely played a role in the Eagles game, somewhat similar weather in this game. Uh, but, but to your point on the struggling, uh, offense, I think the biggest play that I saw in this game was a, a ball that I believe was tipped uh, targeting Mark Andrews and then sort of like batted into the air and Devin Duvernay ended up grabbing it. Yeah. And I, <laughs> that That's was right. One of the longest passing plays of the day, I think. It was mir- it was a miraculous 22-yard gain uh, where Lamar escaped a tackle in the, in the backfield and, and scrambled out and threw, you know, I don't even know how he got the ball off and it was tipped up the air and the guy – yeah, that was the highlight of the day, and 144 yards obviously won't cut it against anybody, much less the Bills. This uh, backfield is pretty interesting here. You mentioned Lamar Jackson had a good day on the ground. He had 73 yards on 11 brushes. But J.K. Dobbins uh, had a touchdown here, 13 for 41, um, and he also yeah. had a receiving touchdown, 4 for 22 on four targets. Right, and uh, Dobbins was was clearly the lead back, and clearly the, the team wanted to get him involved. Uh, early uh, Dobbins played 50% of the snaps overall. Justice Hill played 35% of the snaps. Uh, Dobbins had a 37% route rate on Lamar's dropbacks. Justice Hill had a 26% route rate. Uh, Justice Hill suffered a hamstring injury. That's what they're calling a hamstring injury in the fourth quarter. There was some concern that it was an Achilles injury. And of course, Justice Hill missed all of last year uh, with an Achilles, but it looks like a hamstring. Justice Hill looked, looked great again, you know, and, and John Harbaugh had said this week, he, he kind of played like a star last week. Um, you know, it, it didn't mean much, you know, Dobbins was the clear lead back here, but if Justice Hill misses time, I think, you know, it will be good for, for Dobbins going forward. And clearly there, they have ramped up Dobbins to the point where he's pretty close to a full workload now. On the other side, uh, a lot of injuries to go through on the uh, the, the Bills receiving core. Yeah, so you have uh, Jameson Crowder, uh, who actually outsnapped Isaiah McKenzie in the slot for Buffalo, eleven to nine, before Crowder's ankle injury. He did not return to the game after leaving in the third quarter. McKenzie, meanwhile, suffered what, what looked to be a, a head injury after taking a vicious vicious shot over the middle. Um, he was uh, playing a lot of snaps in the two minute drill uh, in the first and second quarter, as well as the, as the third quarter, uh, Khalil Shakir uh, came in and played the, the, the slot position when Crowder and McKenzie were out. So if both of McCowder, I'm sorry, McCrowder, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if both McGruder and uh, no, Crowder and McKenzie miss week five, then I guess Shakir is going. It could get that slot role. Um, the team doesn't seem like huge on Shakir so far, so we'll we'll see. And then of course, if if McKenzie is out with the concussion or or you know some sort of head issue, then uh, uh, Crowder and and Crowder is in. Then Crowder would seem to be a pretty good PPR option. Uh, 
One guy we were worried about in terms of injury was Gabe Davis. Uh, you know, there was a report that he had kind of aggravated, like aggravated, but didn't aggravate his ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, he was out there, you said, the entire time, but he only had uh, three targets going one for 13. Yeah, really, it's a, it's a trend that is not great for those of us who drafted Gabe Davis thinking that he would be, you know, the 1B to Stefan Diggs, 1A. Uh, he's playing 100% of the routes. I mean, he, he's getting all the routes, and he's getting none of the targets. And I don't know if that has to do with being hobbled with the ankle injury. I mean, he, he did seem not at full health today. There were times where, you know, he's reaching down, touching his ankle, like clearly not comfortable. Um, perhaps that means that he can't get the sort of separation required for Josh Allen to look his way. But man, I can confirm that Josh Allen was not looking his way today. It was Stefan Diggs or bust for Josh Allen. Devin Singletary here had five targets uh, going four for 47. I believe he lost a fumble, though. Uh, he had yeah. 11 for 49 as a rusher. Any thoughts on him? He seems to like have kind of consolidated the backfield again over the last couple weeks. Uh, it was like a real split there for a minute. Uh, but it's kind of all Devin Singletary recently. Yeah, so just as far as the the passing game work goes, uh, Singletary ran 32 routes on 42 dropbacks for Josh Allen. Uh, Zach Moss ran one route. James Cook ran two routes. So that that seems to just all belong to Singletary, which I think gives him a, a solid weekly PPR floor going forward. Uh, the rushing production in a pass-heavy, pass-first Bills offense is going to be a cherry on top. Um, but, but it seems, yeah, it seems like the team has come to the conclusion that, you know, we're going to do, we're going to treat Singletary the way that we did in the last three or four weeks of last season, uh, where we saw him take on this role. And I think it makes him a very useful, not a huge, you know, upside kind of guy, but, but a very useful PPR back. All right, let's move to the Packers who defeated the Patriots 24 to 27, uh, this is a game where Aaron Rodgers threw his 500th touchdown pass, something mm-hmm. only five players have achieved, including the playoffs. It was also a game where he needed to go to overtime to defeat the Bailey Zappi-led Patriots. Yes. Yes. Ba- Bailey Zappi almost did it. Uh, you know, he – well, I'll talk about Rodgers first. Ro- Rodgers, Rodgers struggled a lot in this game. Uh, they, they, leaned, they leaned on the run big time. Uh, uh, against the Patriots, and it worked. It worked very well. You have uh, uh, you have Aaron Jones rushing 16 times for 110 yards. You have AJ Dillon rushing 17 times for 73 yards. That's a little bit uh, skewed that the carry total because AJ Dillon saw at least six carries late in the game when they were just salting away the game in the fourth quarter, and then in in, in overtime. Uh, so I, you know, Aaron Jones was clearly the, the lead back there and, and Aaron Jones was very efficient, seven yards, uh, per carry. Uh, Aaron Jones also saw three, uh, uh, three receptions on four targets. It didn't amount to much, but, um, the, the, the split there remained the way it has been over the first three weeks of the season. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think Rogers struggled to find, you know, open spots in this offense. And I think that, his, uh, I don't know, his receiver deficiencies really showed themselves. You have Romeo Dobbs, who 
had something of a breakout game last week with Alan Lazard out of the lineup, he dropped what would have been a 45-yard touchdown pass Mm. in the fourth quarter. Um, It would have made everything look vastly different for, you know, the pecking order uh, for for Green Bay. But Lazard stays in the lead here. Um, And just just briefly, you know, he uh, him and Dobbs ran a full complement of routes snaps and everything. Uh, but it was, it was Lazard who went for 116 yards on six catches, uh, th- including a 32 yard uh, catch uh, down the sideline in the second half. Yeah. And uh, Christian Watson, we should know was, was involved a little bit here. He had one for eight uh, on three targets, but he did get in the end zone as a rusher going one for 15. They seem to, you know, really be determined to get Christian Watson involved as a rusher. They, the only time that you, you really know that he's going to be involved is when they, they set him in motion on those jet sweeps uh, where he just, he goes full speed, takes the ball from Rogers and tries to get around the corner. And I guess they're doing that because he's very fast. I mean, he's, he is probably the fastest guy on the team. And, um, and when he can make a guy miss it, th- those plays can, can be successful. I, I I don't think that we're going to see him take on that downfield role. I think that belongs to Romeo Dobbs for now. Uh, but Christian Watson is is not completely fantasy dead in that in that respect. Any thoughts on the backfield here? I mean, it was an impressive day overall. Sixteen for one ten for Aaron Jones. Seventeen carries for AJ Dillon for seventy three yards. Uh, neither back scored a rushing touchdown or got in the end zone at all. I believe. I think, you know, you saw once again that the the Packers want to be uh, like at least balanced, if not run first. Uh, they they have a really good offensive line. They have two very capable backs. Uh, they These two, you know, especially Aaron Jones in the first half, just ripped off run after run. It was seven yards, nine yards, 12 yards. Every single time it seemed like they touched the ball, positive stuff happened. Uh, I, I think the Packers know that that's, that's how they're going to do it. Like they're, they, you know, this is not the old days with Devonte Adams. Like they're, they're going to have to do it this way. And that means that with in games with positive and neutral script, both AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones should get their fair share of opportunity. On the other side, as I mentioned at the start, Bailey Zappi was the quarterback for much of this game. Brian yeah. Hoyer, Left with an injury. What was what was the injury? Are we going to have another yeah. Bailey Zappi game here? Uh, it was a head injury, so you know I guess they'll mm. they'll evaluate that, unlike unlike the Dolphins, and see if if uh, Brian Hoyer can come back next week. I would guess that Mac Jones is unlikely for next week with uh, what seemed to be a fairly serious ankle injury uh, in Week Three. Uh, Zappi was Chad Pennington esque in both his. Uh, game management and his like floating uh, passes. I mean, this guy, uh, you, know, you know, with all due respect, has <laughs> zero arm strength. I, I wow. like he, but he, but he knows it. He knows it. Like he, he, he adjusts accordingly. He's not trying to zip the ball to the boundary to beat a cornerback. Like he just waits and waits and waits. His touchdown to Devontae Parker was just was like a 20 yard lob. Like the, the, the height on that ball would have been like 
the the typical quarterback's height on like a 50 yard pass okay <laughs> uh, like he like but 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 this is the way he's done it and you know billy zappy was a prolific passer at western <laughs> kentucky 6000 yards 6000 <laughs> yards and 58 touchdowns you need to figure out a way to measure how high the ball went in the air over the course of his career. Oh it's man, deep. if you see this highlight, you you you'll know what I'm talking about. I mean, it, it was funny. It was actually kind of funny. It reminded me of like late stage Chad Pennington after Pennington had destroyed his shoulder, had injured his shoulder like four different times, and he had nothing left, but he knew how to place the ball and he knew his limitations. So I think Zappy can kind of manage this offense. Um you know, only a super flex option, maybe, maybe. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, the, the New England backfield, what was interesting here, um, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, com, you know, t- took over or, or continued to take over the uh, passing down role here. Um, and it was a little disappointing uh, because uh, Stevenson had four catches on five targets in the first half. And it looked like, you know, we're on our way to an eight, maybe a 10 catch game for Stevenson, especially because Zappy, you know, he's not going downfield. He's checking down uh, uh, everywhere to the tight ends, to the running backs. And Stevenson ended up with four catches on five targets. So nothing, he got nothing in the passing game in the second half. And of course, Damian Harris uh, took a lot of the early down stuff. Uh, Damian Harris ended up with 86 yards on 18 carries uh, to 14 carries. For Stevenson, of course, uh, uh, Damian Harris got the touchdown as well. So, you know, we got our we got some PPR production from Stevenson a week after he scored 20 fantasy points for us. You know, we'll, we'll take it for now. Yeah, it's something at least. I mean, Billy Zappi led offense. You can't ask for, for too much. But right. Denny Carter, uh, appreciate it. Yep. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Don't forget to check out Matthew Barry's new show, Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Barry. The legendary fantasy football analyst is back with NBC and Roto World doing what he does best, rolling out his love-hate, breaking down who to start and sit, and much more. 
There will also be plenty of actionable information along the way for you sports bettors as well. Check it out weekdays at noon on Peacock or listen to the show in podcast form wherever you download and subscribe. The Vikings defeat the Saints 28-25 to in London. But despite that defeat, Kyle Dvorak, Dalvin Cook, failed to reach 100-plus rushing yards. Now his seventh straight game where he hasn't done that. He only has one rushing touchdown in that span. Yeah, I mean, it was from a, a role perspective, it looked pretty good. I mean, he outcarries Alexander Madison 20 to 3. Uh, it wasn't like he was benched on passing downs or anything. You know, he got two targets, secured both of them. That was one more target than Alexander Madison. Really, the day came down to uh, they had Cook in and then into the red zone, they subbed him out. I don't think that was like intentional that Madison's the red zone back. It's just they're trying to give Cook probably a little more breathing room than they usually do with him dealing with the shoulder injuries. Got it in a harness now. And as soon as Alexander Madison comes in, he takes a little scamper 15 yards into the end zone. And that was the uh, you know the only you know the only touchdown the whole backfield scored on the day. They also had a Justin Jefferson three yard jet sweep. He punches that in. That just as easily could have been a Dalvin Cook touchdown as well. So I, I think we're a little bit concerned that he's his passing role seems to be a little bit scaled back with just two targets. I don't think he saw a lot of targets last week either. So he kind of is sort of fitting back into the mold of the not quite league winners that you've talked about, where he gets a lot of work, but he's not this four or five plus targets per game kind of guy. And that's like the entire offense. They're all involved but they're not justin jefferson and and anytime we have justin jefferson go off it's going to be hard for anyone else to get there and we did have justin jefferson go off yes, he had yes we did 10 receptions awesome. 10 receptions 147 yards on 13 targets yeah it was great it was what we had been missing for the past two weeks uh you know he had a bunch of targets in one of the past two weeks and then wasn't even that involved as far as the the targets go in one of the previous two weeks as well. So it was a two game drought. And although, you know, maybe Cooper cup gives you fewer two game droughts over the course of the year. I feel like it might be the only two game drought we see Jefferson because we got back to exactly what we wanted, both from his absolute dominance. He had a, a matchup against Marshawn Lattimore and consistently was able to able to beat him. And we saw both the scheme work out really well for him too. They're getting him unique looks, getting him open. And then obviously he scores on the jet sweep. That's the touchdown of the day. So it's everything we want from Justin Jefferson. He looks like the top two, three fantasy receiver we've come to know him as. And uh, I think the last two weeks will go down to sort of an anomaly on the season for him. Yeah. As you know, the, the touchdown was a rush technically, but you know, yep. we'll take that. Um, Couple of interesting notes, uh, you know, with Lattimore there. I mean, this is a tough Saints defense. Also, Kirk Cousins only threw for 273 yards. So for Jefferson to have 147 yards here, I, I'm with you. I mean, this this is like very bullish. I think you know, not that we needed like a ton of really bullish signs for Justin Jefferson. He's our he's an elite uh, receiver. We all know that. But you know, after the the mini drought, pretty exciting uh, to see him have this kind of day. Any thoughts on the rest of the receiving core here? Adam Thielen was second to Jefferson going eight for 72. Yeah, I mean, not not a ton else. Thielen did look to be clearly the number two over KJ Osborne. That seems pretty obvious now. Uh, KJ Osborne, you know, he technically did have a touchdown called back by an offensive penalty. I think it was a pick play that was set up for him and he gets in the end zone. Sometimes those are called, sometimes they aren't. So it, it really wouldn't have made a difference, though. If he gets there for a third target for a few more yards and a touchdown, you're not looking at starting him the next week because the touchdown isn't what's repeatable about his line. It's the fact that in that case, he would have had three targets. In this case, it ends up that play is negated and he gets two target so really no one else in this offense i would be playing other than the top two receivers and thielen just as as you've noted sort of a late career tight end 
but involved in the offense. And it's an offense that's passing at least somewhat well. They're passing at a, a rate over expected. So we like about it. And then Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, those like three startable fantasy options outside of Kirk Cousins, obviously. On the other side, Andy Dalton was a quarterback here because of the Jameis Winston back injury. That led to Taysom Hill getting five rushes for 21 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Latavius Murray also led the backfield here, 11 for 57 and a touchdown. And Mark Ingram had 10 for 30 with Alvin Kamara, I should note, also out for this game. Yeah, the backfield, I think the numbers are a bit deceiving. Mark Ingram left early in the third quarter, almost the start of the, half of the second half. And I assumed he was out. I was like, oh, well, he hasn't you know, played in almost an entire quarter, I think it was. He, he's done for the day. He just shows up back in the game. And the team never even announced him as a you know, questionable probable to return. Just came out of the locker room and got right back in the lineup. And I think it was while he was gone specifically that Latavius Murray scored. So uh, to me, it's it's definitely a committee, right? Mark, you're about to start, but Latavius was involved early. Ingram was clearly the lead back, but it wasn't, you know, long gone are the days of Alvin Kamara going out and just the number two backup comes in, gets their backup mm-hmm. work and the starters work for Alvin Kamara. Those are clearly gone. And I think it's been very clear that that's the case with Mark Ingram. You know, I don't want to say he's done right. He, he's had a few decent runs, a few long runs, but they just don't seem to have any inclination to give him any of that sort of exciting contingent value type of role. It'll be a messy backfield and it's an offense. We don't care too much about the offense really isn't going to do well, no matter who's under center. So you could maybe throw in a marking or as a RB three, four, if you're desperate, lots of running back injuries mounting, but uh, there, there might be better options on your wire, honestly. Yeah, I mean, to that point, Mark Ingram had three targets in this game going three for 13. Latavius Murray had one target going to one for eight. So it's hardly like an Alvin Kamara role, no. you know, that they're stepping into there. Um, thoughts on the receivers here. Chris Olave had a decent game, all things considered. Andy Dalton didn't have a big day. So, you know, for Olave to go four for six, for 67 and a touchdown on seven targets, you know, that's not bad. Yeah, I feel good about it because, yeah, he didn't go, you know, he didn't do the, I think he had 147 or something like that last week. It wasn't the the air yards bonanza we've seen recently with Jameis Winston under center. But now he's showing that he can get it done no matter which of these mediocre quarterbacks is throwing the ball to him, Dalton or Winston. He's just the number one. He completely overshadowed Jarvis Landry, who was active for this game, led the team in targets to 25% target share. And he gets it done in a way that isn't Winston just hucking it up and praying. It's a completely different style of quarterback. So to me, like very clearly proves the thesis of like, oh, he's just this team's best receiver. Maybe even when Michael Thomas is in, but obviously when Michael Thomas is out. So I don't really have any sort of systemic concerns about the offense switching back and forth, not being able to get going. He just is the number one receiver on this team, no matter who is under center. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Probably not too much else to take from this, given that we had Thomas out, Kamara out, and yeah. Jameis out. But but exciting that Alave looks to be emerging, like for real. Let's move to the Jets, who defeated... The Steelers 24 to 20. This is a game where the Steelers, not before the game as we hoped with 10 days to prepare, but in the game, switched quarterbacks to Kenny Pickett. Maybe that preparation would have helped because Pickett threw three interceptions. Yeah, his interceptions were semi-excusable. Uh, one was a deep, uh, a really deep shot to Chase Claypool that was catchable. You could say, you know, he should have led Claypool farther. Claypool seemed to go after the play and immediately give it like a my bad type of deal to him because Claypool had, I mean, Claypool's also like 6'4", and he was facing like a 5'10 corner. You'd hope that he could come down with it, and he didn't, but also you would hope that maybe the ball's a little more spot on. So give or take on that one. I understand why it wasn't like a egregious throw or anything and then the third interception was uh hail mary from you know the 40 or 50 you don't care 
if it's intercepted, you know, just trying to give yourself a shot. It was really one short throw that he should have just thrown it away, that he desperation throws it to Pat Fryermuth in the flat, and he way overthrows him, and Fryermuth can't come down with it, and it turns into an interception that, like, that's frankly the biggest mistake I saw from him was it was a pretty egregious throw to where, like, he's under pressure, Fryermuth has defenders all around him, and he just refuses to give up on the play, playing sort of a, you know, ill-fated hero ball, you know. So it wasn't a great day day from him honestly he looked a bit more aggressive than Mr. Trubisky was nice we saw uh, George Pickens got over 100 yards but I wouldn't be too bullish yet on the passing attack he also punched in two rushing touchdowns they were just straight up goal line plays he got in he had another good QB sneak on like fourth and one got three yards on it so maybe that's his calling as a decent runner and he is a good good enough athlete where he should give you above average production not you know nothing elite but maybe he can supplant it that way I still think he's like sort of on the deep super flex radar. He's certainly not on the the standard fantasy type of radar. That makes sense. Uh, this seemed to be like, a, I don't know, are things going to kind of get shaken up here if Pickett's the, the uh, quarterback starter going forward? Because you mentioned the 100 yards for Pickens. He had 6-102 um, on eight targets. Deontay Johnson only had four targets. He went two for 11. Uh, Chase Claypool had two targets, did not catch a ball. So this was... Kind of, you know, the, to see Deontay Johnson getting half the targets of George Pickens, I mean, this is not your typical Steelers box score. Pat Fryermuth actually led the team with nine targets, and he had seven for 85. So, you know, may, like, I, I know it's a super small sample. Yeah. Pickett only played half the game, but, you know, we've had, had a long sample now of Deontay Johnson just kind of week in, week out, getting his targets, and he actually didn't hear. Yeah, and Deontay's yards per reception, yards per target this year have been poor. And that's kind of the expectation with him is that he's a, a chain mover, but he's not giving you a ton on top of that. And that means he needs that volume to get there. And I think the one thing that maybe you could draw some optimism from this for Deontay Johnson was that it wasn't like wasn't like Kenny Pickett was only throwing deep right half of, I believe it was either four or five, obviously split them one way or the other of Friar Moose, nine targets came with Kenny Pickett under center. And, and it's not like Friar Moose is going to be a deep threat or anything. So it wasn't simply that he refused to take dump offs. It was more that when he was, it wasn't going to, wasn't going to Deontay. So I think there are concerns that Deontay now is more of the volume dependent. Will he get there? Won't he get there on, you know, six catches, seven catches as a ceiling. That's still decent for wide receiver three numbers, but I'm going to have a tough time ranking him like top 24 this coming week, especially with, you know, if Pickens is getting there as a receiver, that's going to be, I think, like he has the talent ceiling, right? I don't know if he's going to get there, but if he has the talent ceiling to dominate a team's targets like he did this week, uh, that gets me excited for him in the offense. But you need the volume for Deontay. And if it's not there, you're kind of drawing dead. Yeah. And Trubisky and Pickett combined had 26 attempts. This is a game they lost to the Jets. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know that there's going to be that much volume here. Yeah. You know, like with the rookie quarterback, they're probably going to be pretty conservative. So uh, any thoughts on Najee Harris, who had 18 rushing attempts for 74 yards? Uh, and I do not believe you're, you're looking target. for targets and you're not finding one. Is what yeah. I was going that, on. That's yeah. what that pause was. Yes. Uh, another one that uh, like, you know, he wasn't giving up a ton of snaps, right? He just did not get targeted. I, I think the thing is he was targeted so much by Ben right at or behind the line of scrimmage. And Ben just had this all time low a dot for the offense, which is great for Deontay. And I think because Deontay wasn't being targeted literally behind the line of scrimmage, there are chances for him under a new quarterback to have success. Now it doesn't look great for him right now, but it looks far worse for Niners who was to me, the way things have played out this year, it was, 
very much the product of what we'll just call the Ben Roethlisberger scheme. And any deviation from that has been drastically disappointing for him. So now he projects as this two, three target a game type of guy who's not breaking tackles. He's not breaking long runs on an offense. that's not going to set him up for red zone work. Like I, I definitely won't have him ranked as an RB one this week. I, I thought about it, thought about finally cutting the, cutting the cord with him, just throwing him back to like the Josh Jacobs range this week. And I, I should have, you know, I should have done it for week four. It will happen for week five. Please, please stop slandering Josh Jacobs, a productive. He actually he, he ran very well today. He's a good. It's as frankly, it's the Josh Jacobs role without being as good of a runner as Josh Jacobs. He'll be. He might be staring behind Josh Jacobs in the rankings this week. It's brutal. <laughs> oh man! All right, uh, let's move to the Jet side. Brees Hall. This, this is a talented running back. We talk about seventeen rushing attempts, only three point nine yards per carry, but six six yards does get in the end zone. I believe uh kind of a. I don't think that what what wasn't a challenge because it was less than two minutes left in the the game, so it got reviewed automatically. But uh, there was a it kind of replay to get that touchdown counted, which matters for a couple of my my fantasy teams. But uh, yes, that is, is he, that is what happened. Yes, is he looking like he's now ahead of Michael Carter, who had only nine attempts for fifteen yards here? Yeah, I believe he played the majority of snaps in this game. Obviously, he he dominated the carries, dominated the targets as well for the backfield. And uh, like this is the the profile he came out of college from. He he was a a do it all type of back. Who the question was like, well, you know, he runs like what a four three nine, right? And it's like, well, does that really show up on tape, right? Is he more of the David Montgomery, or is he closer to Saquon Barkley, or maybe even like early career Zeke, right? When Zeke could do everything mm. at a mid to high level, and he's looking to be at least that. And I think when you spend as much capital as they did, you know, second round pick with the new regime to get him uh, on the team, I think it's very clear that the long-term plan and, and long-term frankly took four weeks, right? Actually not that long of a term that he will, uh, he will be a workhorse for this team on an offense that right now is not uh, elite, but they're still playing in a way we want them to play. They play fast and they pass a lot. And for a back who can actually earn targets at a high clip, that's great for him. So Michael Carter, much like Najee Harris tumbling down the rankings, but in this case, we do get to raise someone up and it's Brees Hall who looks like he's got not quite a three down role secured, but uh, 75% of a three down role. How did Zach Wilson look in his first game of the year? It was so, so actually it was, it was pretty poor, but his final drive was good. Like there was optimism to take away. And it's sort of the same question we saw with the Jets and Sam Donald's every 19 to 40 plays. Sam Donald would actually make a really awesome throw. Uh, and it's just, how can you get that number down to doing it consistently? And we didn't <laughs> see it from Zach Wilson early in this game. His best play of probably through three quarters was the, it was, you know, a Philly special type of play receiver reverse and Braxton Berrios, I think, threw him the touchdown. He's wide open. Other than that, he was pretty scattershot, wasn't finding his mark. But the final, uh, you know, so you're saying that Zach Wilson might be a better receiver than quarterback. Uh, I mean, I'm saying he has a fallback plan. We don't <laughs> know how good he is really at either position but there's some hope as a receiver no but he did the two minute drill frankly was awesome he had a really good throw to garrett wilson too puts it right on like the running garrett wilson numbers to get him to get yak like if, if he throws it just a little bit behind wilson has to slow down so he doesn't do that gets the yak they end up getting like uh they end up you know completing a small a small comeback to get ahead in this game i thought uh that's the optimism but the inconsistencies were just so clearly obvious with the interceptions so I'm not um, incredibly optimistic for his fantasy perspective, but at least that final drive, the final quarter, gave me some hope that we can still be betting on like Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, who got in the end zone this week, Elijah Moore, as at least volume guys, and their talent should suggest they're big play guys as well. Yeah, he was uh, definitely looking for Corey Davis here, seven targets going five for 74 and a touchdown, which is kind of something we did a lot last year. Uh, 
Garrett Wilson had six targets, so he was next in line in terms of targets, but only two for 41. And then Elijah Moore had 353 on four targets. I would say this is like a little concerning to me. Uh, just, just you know, we we kind of had seen the Garrett Wilson breakout. Like, it felt like it was really materializing. Are you cooling off on Garrett Wilson with Zach Wilson under center? It sounds like you're you're maybe a little more bullish than I am. Hopeful is how I describe it. Maybe it is just the, uh, from what we've seen from Garrett Wilson, he was incredible in college. He comes into the NFL and starts producing right away. And those are the types of players we want to bet on. And I think that over the long run, that type of player, regardless of quarterback or situation, or at least is is against quarterback situation changes, will find success in the long term. And he did second on the team and targets stay behind Corey Davis. We saw, uh, man, we saw a lot of pressure generated against uh, an offensive line that was just beat up. They lost like a fourth or, f- or fifth round offensive tackle who was deep buried on the roster as of a few weeks, probably months ago. They also lost him. They're down to just like three tackles on injured reserve already. And the pressure was nonstop. So maybe Corey Davis is that sort of safety valve for him when he's under pressure. That's where they're going. Maybe that means if that doesn't happen in the coming weeks, better days ahead for your Elijah Moore's, your Garrett Wilson's. But frankly, the operative point is I'm just betting on Garrett Wilson's talent. It's not like he disappeared from the lineup whenever they threw Zach Wilson under center. They just didn't connect on their you know second most targets thrown to one of the receivers. So I'm hopeful, though. I got to be honest. I felt that was more hopeful with Joe Flacco, but I don't think the dream is dead. Okay. All right. That makes me feel better. Kyle Dvorak, thanks Thanks for uh, talking me off the ledge there. (laughs) Glad I could do that for you. The Seahawks defeated the Lions 48 to 45. This is a game where Jared Goff threw for four touchdowns for the first time since week 17 of 2018. I covered this game and, you know, heading into the game, I was thinking the Lions don't have Amon Ross St. Brown. They don't have DJ Chark. They don't have DeAndre Swift. They're playing the Seahawks, so we're not going to see a ton of scoring in this game, but we certainly did. TJ Hawkinson stepped up big time going eight for 179 and two touchdowns. That was a career day for him. Uh, Josh Reynolds was the second leading receiver here going seven for 81 and a touchdown. But really, I mean, Hawkinson, I think, is the story on the Lions in the passing game. Uh, he had an 81-yard catch that did not score. He got stopped at the two. He also had a, a, a target where he, was, he wasn't he was like wide open in the end zone, but uh, he was open and Goff overthrew him. I believe that was on the same drive as he was stopped um, down at the two on the 81-yard reception. But... Yeah, he could have at least had three touchdowns in this game, did have two, uh, and he had you know, it was a, pr- a pretty nice day. He got wide open down the sideline uh, for one of his scores uh, and you know, definitely stepped up in a big way in a, you know, in a situation where the team really needed someone to be the engine of the offense. He was. I would note that the Lions were playing from behind for a lot of this game. But the scoring wasn't like true, true garbage time, I would say. Uh, they were definitely like down and, and needing to pass. But, you know, if they had gotten like really lucky at the end of this, they maybe, maybe could have pulled it out. They even had, uh, after scoring, getting the getting the, uh, the score within three, not getting an onside kick. But uh, they still had three timeouts. And they, were, they forced the Seahawks to need to convert a first down in order to truly put the game away. Rashad Penny was able to do that for them. Um, And Penny had a huge day overall, which I'll get to in a second. But I I just want to note first that Jamal Williams 
on the Lions side also had a really big day. He went 19 for 108 and two touchdowns on the ground. He very clearly had the goal line role on that TJ Hawkinson play where he was down at the two. Jamal Williams got a first and 10 carry or first and goal carry, excuse me, from the two. Uh, then they went back to him on third down now from about like the half yard line or the one yard line. Um, he did not get in on that carry, but then the following play, they go for it. They give it to him on fourth down. He punches it in. And then he also had a 51 yard run, which is not really what you think of when you think of Jamal Williams, you know, not really a big play guy, but he had a big hole. The line really opened up a big lane for him, but then he stiff armed the safety that, you know, really nice play to then take it to the house. So it was an impressive day for Jamal Williams. Justin Jackson got in the end zone uh, with a receiving score at the very end of the game. The The Lions' last score was a Justin Jackson short touchdown, uh, I believe from two yards out. Uh, Craig Reynolds also mixed in. Craig Reynolds was like really the backup, I think. Uh, two for 30 on the, on the ground. Uh, Craig Reynolds had one target going one for 12. Justin Jackson had two targets going two for four in that touchdown. Uh, and Jamal Williams actually led the backfield with three targets, only one for one. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of like sort of a committee backup role behind Jamal Williams. But yeah, Jamal Williams, an impressive role here and an impressive day from him. But Rashad Penny now has back-to-back games of 150 plus rushing yards and two scores against the Lions. He loves playing the Lions. And yeah, 151 yards here, 17 rushes. He looked honestly like bad to start the game. He would kind of like stop his feet on every carry and sort of just like put his shoulder down and slam into his offensive lineman right up the middle. Like he didn't seem at all interested in sort of bouncing things outside when there was clearly nothing going to happen if he if he ran up the middle. But as the game went on, things started to open up a little bit more. And, you know, that that type of running style was working better and better. He had a play where he kind of uh, got to the outside and uh, he he kind of like looked like he was about to cut back. He was sort of near the boundary and he looked like he was about to cut up. He wouldn't have like gone to the end zone or anything, but, you know, maybe he could have turned it into like a 20, 25 yard run. Uh, but he, he stumbled. And so it only went for about like 10 yards or something. But that was kind of like, you know, him flashing a little bit. Maybe there's maybe there's some explosive plays on the way. And sure enough, he rips off two long touchdowns as long as to the day, 41 yards. Uh, by the end, you know, he just – he was like putting moves on the Lions, guys that weren't even like that big of moves. And and they, they just had no answers for Rashad Penny by the end of the game. So you know, he kind of describes himself as, as this like rhythm runner that needs – you know, needs like 15 carries before he's really going to start uh, ripping off big games. And he got 17 here and, and, you know, it definitely, it definitely worked out. He also had one target going one for six. Ken Walker got involved a little bit here, eight for 29 on the ground, uh, one for negative five on one target. Uh, and Penny er, uh, Walker looked, I, I thought a little bit better to start the game when Penny was looking, you know, kind of out of sorts, but obviously at the end of the game, Penny, was just going off and you know he was the guy they were turning to when they needed to convert that first down to ice the game he was the one kind of keeping them ahead um you know in that in that fourth quarter where the lions were scoring on the other side so huge game for penny i think very very bullish for kind of his role in the offense i think he probably earned a couple more weeks of being the early down guy ahead of ken walker 
DK Metcalf here had a really big game, 10 targets. That's a 30% target share. Geno Smith uh, had 30 attempts in this game, uh, 33% target share. Uh, DK Metcalf, uh, seven receptions, 149 yards. He did not score. Uh, he did have a 54-yard reception. Uh, they got them right down by the end zone. Uh, Tyler Lockett had a 34-yard reception, his longest of the day, six for 91 he lost a fumble on a punt return, and I believe he lost another fumble uh, that was punched out. Um, so, you know, not the best game for Lockett, but uh, again, a, a pretty decent target share for Lockett with eight targets. You know, combined 18 targets here for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Uh, that's 60% of uh, Geno Smith's attempts going to one of these two guys. And, uh, you know, 149 yards for Metcalf, 91 for Lockett. So very condensed, as you would expect. But it was kind of nice to see that Geno Smith was actually getting some downfield plays to these guys. It wasn't just the super, super short stuff, the RPO stuff that, you know, we've become accustomed to with Geno Smith this year. Uh, I don't know how much that's going to continue, given that, you know, they're not going to be playing the Lions again and they get the Saints next week. So, you know, it, it'll definitely be <laughs> some tough sledding there compared to the Lions secondary. But, you know, nice to know that this is in the range of outcomes when a really good matchup comes along. But that'll do it for the Seahawks and the Lions. The Chargers defeated the Texans 34-24. to uh, Rivers and McCown, this is a game where Justin Herbert seemed to be pretty healthy. He had 300-plus passing yards, two-plus touchdowns, and no interceptions. That's the first game all year with those numbers. Yeah, he actually didn't seem harassed at all by the Texan defense. They didn't really get to him at all. Uh, he took one sack and he kind of like slid on that sack as if to just give himself up to not get hit in his ribs. Of course, we know he's doing with that. So, I mean, he was, he made a couple of preposterous throws, but, but otherwise I think, you know, for the most part came out of this pretty clean. Yeah. And uh, we did not get Keenan Allen in this game, right? Correct. He was out. Answering. So M Mike Williams, 11 targets, seven receptions, 120 yards. Gerald Everett, six targets, five receptions, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Austin Eckler, seven targets, six for 49, and a touchdown. I mean, these are the guys. If we're going to have Keenan Allen out, we want targets to condense to. I mean, my apologies if you started Josh Palmer, who only had one for 25. But but generally, this is who we want to see the, the volume condensing to here, and, and it did. Yeah, uh, Eckler, of course, the breakout star of this game with the three tutties. Um, he didn't look great running the ball. The Chargers had a lot of negative uh, rush plays uh, that made that, that stat line 13 for 16 look a little bit worse than it probably should have been. Um, that's concerning to me is like season-long kind of thing because, you know, Eckler hasn't run very well all season, really. So that that was a little eye-opening that he couldn't even get to 100 on the Texans. Um Williams had a 50-yarder. Hang, Hang on. The guy, the guy, he caught six passes. He had 49 yards. He yeah. scores three touchdowns. This is a negative because yeah. he only had 13 for 60 on the ground? Not saying that it was a negative. It was a great game. I'm just saying, like, long-term, man, like, that, that line did not look good. The yeah, you know. It was not there. You're probably right. You're probably right. If you can't get to 100 yards rushing against the Texans, it's a, it's a bad sign moving forward. Especially when you're spotted a uh, 27 to seven lead, uh, so, so 
Yeah, that, that was part of it. Uh, Williams had a 50-yarder when he was left uncovered. That was the majority of what he was up to. Uh, Everett had all of his catches in the first half, got hmm. a touchdown uh, over Jalen Petrie uh, in man, so he looked really nice on that play. Uh, kind of like him as a tight end one at the very end of the tier this year. I mean, obviously nobody's doing great things in that land, really, but uh, he looked good. Yeah, and so just to kind of wrap things up on Herbert, like, you know, you mentioned that he was kind of giving himself up, you know, and he had a very strong day here, but um, how much of that do you think was related to the fact that he's playing the Texans and how much should we be feeling good about Justin Herbert moving forward here that maybe he's headed in the right direction health-wise? I think you should feel good that their film left tackle, Jamari Sawyer, actually played a really good game, got the game ball from mm-hmm. the coaching staff. And that kept him clean. And that's something that, you know, after the storm ordering of week three, we were all a little concerned about. And I think that really kind of solidifies, makes you feel a little bit happier about where Herbert's at and the QB ones with uh, tier. On the other side, uh, Damian Pierce, definitely a bright spot. He had 131 yards and a touchdown on 14 carries. That's 9.4 yards per carry. He also had six targets. He only had six receptions for eight yards, so that's maybe not as much of a bright spot. But, hey, that's six points in PPR, uh, 6.8 points. So, yeah. you know, that's that's not that's not bad. Yeah, had a 75-yard touchdown run and uh, didn't look bad at all on his other carries, just chunking off eight or, eight or nine here or there. Um, they didn't run Rex Burkhead at all today, so that was positive for Pierce. Um. However, those checkdowns, as you were talking, the, the the receptions you're talking about, yeah, the Davis Mills, um, not good. And it turns out, when not good and scared, uh, we'll just throw blindly at whoever's behind the line of scrimmage, and that's how Pierce <laughs> got those points. Which, hey, good for you guys, right? <laughs> good for us in fantasy. But oh man, is that a tough watch? Yeah, uh, and Rex Burkhead got involved in that. He had five targets, five for thirty-nine, and a touchdown as a receiver. So he's involved there. Um, but you know, Davis Mills, not a good game, uh, two interceptions, 246 yards passing two touchdowns, uh, one to Burkhead, but the other went to cooks and he had seven for 57 on seven targets with that touchdown. So not a terrible day for Brandon cooks. And then Nico Collins actually led the team with 82 yards, 58 yard, uh, long reception, only had three receptions on five targets. So, so not like necessarily a target hog, I guess, but uh, you know, kind of good to see, given that Collins has been pretty quiet this year, and also nice to see from Brandon Cooks, who's really underperformed his target volume so far. Yeah, I'm still a little concerned about Brandon Cooks. I'll be real with everybody. Um, 57 yards on those seven receptions. A lot of these underneath kind of check down things. He was having like tight end averages as a target for for this mm-hmm. game. Um, got knocked behind the last scrimmage, I think, once on, on like a little smoke play that just got blown up entirely. Uh, still a good player. Just just the, the shackles of his offense are incredible. Uh, you talked about the 58-yarder to Nico. Uh, you, if you take that play and the Damian Pierce play out of the equation, the Texans uh, have 213 total yards on this game and averaged uh, four points. One yards per offensive play, which is really, wow. really sad. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty brutal. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rivers, anything else we should know before we get out of here? 
Uh, don't buy the OJ Howard hype. You're going to see in that box score five targets. Uh, they were not quality targets. Uh, the Texans tight ends kind of rotate around. You'll find one of them gets a, a, a big game here or there. Don't 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 be like, oh, this is DFS. He's cheap. Don't 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 be that guy. He's not going to get you anywhere. I think that's a really good note actually because Farrell Brown was out for this game and Brevin Jordan was out for this game. So you know, not only do the Texans kind of aren't to be trusted at the tight end position, but especially so when two guys ahead of OJ Howard were out. But Rivers, appreciate it. Yep, thanks. The Cowboys defeated the Commanders 25-10. to 10. Michael Gallup made his debut this season, but Zach Kruger, CeeDee Lamb, led the way here with six receptions, 97 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, C.D. Lamb looked like the kind of player that we were hoping for when we were taking him in the second round of drafts this, this offseason. Uh, you know, six of eight targets, 97 yards. He had one drive. I believe it was in the second quarter. It was the third drive of the afternoon for Dallas. He actually had receptions of 16, 17, and 23 yards on a single drive that ended up just setting up a 45-yard field goal. But um, I, I feel like those are the kind of little dominant drives that you look for of a player of C. Lamb's caliber, where when you see those happening, you're like, okay, like he's in tune, he's ready to go. So that was a super encouraging uh, just little drive there by Lamb in that brief spurt. And then later on in the game, uh, he actually hauled in a 30-yard touchdown from Cooper Rush in the fourth quarter to, to really kick off the fourth quarter. It was the first play, um, and that more or less secured the, the win for the Cowboys on the day. Just an easy route, pretty much. He, he shook William Jackson at third, got wide open. There wasn't much safety help over the backside, and, uh, and and it was pretty much a walk-in touchdown for CeeDee Lamb that really just kind of capped what was already an otherwise solid day. Not a ton else here in the passing game. Noah Brown had three for 61 on six targets. Gallup, in his debut, only had two for 24, and – on three targets. He did score a touchdown though. Um, and Zeke Elliott actually had two for 32 um, on two targets. And that totals everyone who went over 20 yards on the Cowboys side in this game. So not a, not a ton here through the passing game. Uh, any, any thoughts on those guys or Cooper rush who went two for 23 and two touchdowns. Yeah, well, I think I think it's at least worth noting that Cooper Rush. It wasn't necessarily a, the best day from an accuracy perspective, but he he once again limited turnovers, no interceptions on the day. He did have two called back by way of penalty. I didn't think the penalties were so egregious that they should have have not been called. I, so I, I think that I think that Rush was correctly bailed out by having those overturned on penalties. But it was an otherwise solid day, and at the end of the day, he didn't turn the ball over. He he looked pretty good. Um, with those two touchdown passes, Zeke's 32-yard receptions, one of those, I believe, came on a 31-yard reception. So that second reception didn't leave a whole lot uh, for, for him there. But then I thought Michael Gallup was also pretty good in his return. I noted after the game that he he did have just two catches for 24 yards and touchdown, but he also forced two pass interference calls that amounted to 65 um, yards of offense for, for Dallas via penalty. So um, for the guy who's a deep threat like Michael Gallup, it's always great to see him be able to affect the game in more ways than just uh, outright catching the ball. If you're able to force defenders to create penalties against you, get your team down the ball down the field that way. Um, also, also a good thing. So it, it looks like he came out of it healthy. He did score a touchdown on that play, um, and then his other catch just a 15 yarder um, on the day. But it, it was a good first game back for Gallup, I think overall. Any thoughts on Zeke? He seemed well ahead of Tony Pollard here. 19 carries. Pollard just had eight. Zeke only had 2.6 yards per carry, just 49 yards. But Pollard only had 0.8 <laughs> yards per carry, so we can't even make fun of Zeke that bad for once. Uh, but, you know, 
as Jerry Jones said, uh, <laughs> we we infamously said before the season, we go as Zeke goes. Luckily, that wasn't the case here. Zeke, 2.6 yards per carry, but the Cowboys got an easy win. Yeah, um, uh, we, we know that Pollard's a more explosive back of the two. This this just simply wasn't the game for him. We know that Dallas is going to continue to feed Zeke, probably until they physically can't do it anymore. Um, he had 19 carries in this one. I do think the story for Zeke's um, 19 carries on the day had a little bit more to do with Tony Pollard's um, just horrible day on the ground. He, he literally had eight total opportunities for eight yards. He had eight carries um, for six yards. And um, <laughs> when you look at his 0.8 yards per carry, I feel like that's like kind of the answer to the question of what would you be able to do if you had one chance to run the ball in a professional football game? <laughs> like 0.8 <laughs> yards per carry is probably what the, the Twitter folk yeah. are doing. So uh, it, it, it was just a bad day for Pollard, which I think probably led, led the way for Zeke to just see a little bit more work in this one because um, they have been splitting it fairly evenly throughout with, with, uh, with, with Zeke just having a slight edge in the touches there. But it, it stood out a little bit more. Um, in today's game, I, I also should correct myself that Pollard had 11 opportunities total on the day, eight carries and uh, three targets. Well, he went one for two uh, through the air, so I, I don't think uh, the listeners will be will be all that mad that you left that out. <laughs> We've already been triggered for so long at this point in time. <laughs> what, what's, what's a little goof like that? On the other side, in the other backfield, Antonio Gibson had 13 carries for 49 yards. Not a very good game. For him either he also had 314 on three targets Jonathan Williams got five carries here he had 9.6 yards per carry 48 yards rushing uh what was going on there that Williams got you know not that much work but you know enough I I honestly have no idea what's going on there I ironically the the, the fact that Jonathan Williams had five carries in this game happens to coincide with the first time all season that Curtis Samuel didn't log a carry in this game. And not that Curtis Samuel is ever being used as necessarily a, a full-on running back, but but every game so far, Samuel's had a carry. This game, he had none. Williams was really kind of a random play uh, for, for Ron Rivera and company this week. I, I actually think that it's even more ironic given the fact that Brian Robinson is expected back. Um, for week five, if all goes according to plan right now, if that ends up happening, Jonathan Williams, I think, is going to be the healthy scratch of that backfield. So the fact that he gets five carries for 48 yards and, and just kind of a random show up after only having one carry through the first three games, I think is just kind of a odd thing that the commanders did for whatever reason. There's there's a lot of strange things going on in Washington that you can't really justify with the, the greatest of logic. So I, I think it was nothing more than Ron Rivera won to feed guys. He had three different running backs who had five or more carries on the day. J.D. McKissick had eight for 40 himself. So I think it was just kind of a random thing where Washington wanted to establish the run as best they could, and that ended up resulting in five carries for Jonathan Williams. The reason I was kind of intrigued by it um, is that, you know, we might we might have Brian Robinson coming back pretty soon. So, yeah. you know, it could be the type of situation where, you know, if you're seeing Antonio Gibson losing carries to Jonathan Williams, not the <laughs> best sign with Brian Robinson potentially back, you know, sooner rather than later. Uh, yeah. Jahan, Jahan Dotson led the way here uh, with three for 43 and a touchdown on four targets. Curtis Samuel only had four for 38 on seven targets. Not a lot of receiving production here. Those are the only two guys to get over 20 yards, and Carson Wentz really struggled in this game. Yeah, lots of struggles. And uh, if you start with the quarterback, then the rest of the struggles for the then the struggles for the rest of the offense kind of make a lot of sense. So Carson Wentz at halftime had 52 yards and a single touchdown. 
um, through the air. That one was one that went to Jahan Dotson. That was just on a 10-yard play uh, into the end zone. It was actually a great play by Dotson. It was a contested catch. He rose up, caught the ball in the end zone, made a nice play on that. So it was a good play by Dotson to get that touchdown. Um, I believe that's actually his fifth of the season, fourth or fifth of the season mm. for Dotson. So he's got a couple of touchdowns early on. Um, we know the volume's not there for him with with guys like Terry McLaurin and then Curtis Samuel kind of taking the top two um highest priorities and targets in terms of the offense. But but you can't deny the fact that Dotson cle- clearly looks like a, a priority for the red zone targets. So that that's, I guess, encouraging if you're considering it for something like a flex. But it, it was really just kind of the, the classic Wincian performance. I know that Carson Wentz was not great last week against the Eagles. He at least didn't turn the ball over, probably because he was too busy getting sacked to, to throw any interceptions. But uh, <laughs> this past game, he threw two interceptions. Um, one of them was on a really weird deep play. We can talk at another time about some poor clock management at the end of the first half. But um, Winch was erratic in this one. He only got sacked twice, but just the, he 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 barely made it out of the third quarter with 100 passing yards. So it was not a good day. And obviously, as you mentioned, Curtis Samuel 38 yards, Jahan Dotson 43, and Terry McLaurin 15 on two of six targets. So so it was really just a bad day for the overall offense in Washington, particularly the passing attack. Uh, we'll, we'll see if they can bounce back this upcoming week, but the, the last two weeks live, <laughs> leave little room for optimism. Yeah, I guess if you're looking for silver lining, we know that this Cowboys pass rush is really top-notch. And, yeah. you know, Carson Wentz was like always kind of a big dog to, to handle that well. So, yeah. you know, maybe maybe against a, a weaker pass rush, they they can bounce back. Yeah, and I think that that's fair. Um, they were certainly under pressure from from Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence throughout this one. Um, at one point in time, they replaced actually they replaced guard Trey Turner for Sadiq Charles. And after the game, Ron Rivera said that that guard simply wasn't playing that well. He, he said he's not where he wanted him to be. We're going to bench our starting guard for someone else, and that's what they did. I'm sure that, that doesn't do anything to help you either. Um, but but I think that the other silver lining to this offense is the defense is not great, and I think in in some cases where they're playing less of an aggressive defense. When they are trailing, they're going to be able to find ways to move the ball down, you know, kind of like we saw in those first two weeks against the Jaguars and the Lions. So there is a silver lining, I think, for this Washington offense from a fantasy perspective. It's just going to really depend <laughs> on the quality of defense they're playing and whether or not they can actually fight their way back in games. In the last two weeks, they haven't been able to. The silver lining for their bad offense is that the defense is also bad. Yeah, it, it, it's, the, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the Blake Bortles uh, argument, if I, if I remember correctly. There you go. All right, yeah. Zach Kruger. Thanks so much. Thanks, Karen. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, Major League Baseball, and on the NASCAR circuit and in the Premier League. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Bengals and Ravens in our Sunday Night 7 contest. The Titans defeated the Colts 24-17. to Mark Garcia, the Titans have now won five of their last six games versus the Colts. Yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting. I mean, di- obviously dating back to three seasons now, but uh, it's also marks this game marks the second time in two weeks that the Titans have failed to score in the second half, which is uh, hmm. <laughs> pretty remarkable uh, when you think about the game of the NFL. So, yeah, that that is pretty wild. Um, let's start with Jonathan Taylor here, who had a high ankle sprain. Uh, his status now, TBD. Uh, what? What? When did he suffer that injury? Any Any news on that? Yeah. So he suffered that injury on his lost fumble, which came on the second to last possession for the Colts in the fourth quarter. Um, they the Colts ended up getting the ball back with one more chance um, to tie. They ended up trying to kick a field goal uh, and then never getting the ball back. So, um, but he was removed from the game. He was had the ankle taped, and it appeared like he was ready to come back in the game but on the final drive for Indianapolis um, it was a Naheem Hines drive so whether that was primarily due to the ankle of Jonathan Taylor or just kind of hey the Colts are down uh, this is the final drive possession of the game type thing uh, for game script for Naheem Hines kind of remains unknown Um, but after the game it came out that uh, that Jonathan Taylor might be dealing with a high ankle sprain they're going to do some follow-on testing Biggest notable thing there is the Colts are on a quick turnaround, so they play on Thursday mm. night. So it uh, could be tough for uh, Jonathan Taylor to make it back for uh, a trip to Denver uh, up for the Colts. Okay, yeah, that'll be super important to monitor, obviously. Uh, in the passing game, Mo Cox scored twice here, going six for 85 on six targets. Alec Pierce also had six targets, going four for 80. Kylan Granson was next, 4 for 62 on four targets. Paris Campbell next after that, 4 for 43. I have not said Michael Pittman Jr.'s name yet. He did have six targets, uh, but only 3 for 31 today. Yeah, and as we kind of know with Michael Pittman, he has yet to really establish himself as like an elite alpha from a commanding targets perspective. Um, so until we see that, you know, even in week one where he, the box score say that he blew up, he, he did that on 92 offensive plays. Uh, in a in a game that went the entire you know a complete regular uh, I guess um, what am I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here the regular time during the game and then uh, an additional complete overtime uh, so they right, ran a right. ton of plays yeah so he he saw only a 26 percent team target market share in that game he was down to about 16 percent in this game um, you know he saw six targets on 37 uh, pass attempts for Matt Ryan so until he kind of really starts commanding a higher team target market share 
I don't think we can consider him, you know, amongst the elite wide receivers in the game. That said, he did see consecutive back-to-back targets in the end zone uh, at the beginning of the second quarter. So it looked like he was a bigger portion of this game plan, this offensive game plan, trying to get him involved and keep him involved early. The first pass attempt, he caught it, only got one foot down on the left side of the end zone. Second pass attempt, right side of the end zone, same story. Uh, So he caught the ball, only got one foot down uh, before he was out of bounds. So it looked like he was trying to be, you know, involved more in the offense, but ended up again seeing uh, a non-elite team target market share. Matt Ryan here had 356 yards and two touchdowns with an interception, especially if Jonathan Taylor's out uh, on Thursday or, you know, has kind of any absence. I would expect that the the Colts will be passing a little bit more and, you know, they just lost the Titans here. So they'll probably be passing like a fair amount. Uh, can Ryan be counted on, you think, uh, for kind of like some garbage time, come from behind type stuff? Is this a good, like a positive sign that we got him actually with some decent production today? I would venture a guess as to probably not. Um, he looked pretty atrocious for the duration of the game. He was underthrowing his wide receivers. Um, the the box score looks pretty solid on the surface, but Mo Ali Cox, his I, I'm interested to see his ADOT, but it felt like it was almost entirely all of his six targets were within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and he did some significant damage through yards after the catch. Both of his touchdowns were he was breaking multiple tackles and getting in the end zone. Alec Pierce, the rookie wide receiver, adjusted to a severely underthrown football deep uh, on the Colts' last possession, actually, uh, that led to that field goal attempt, um, where uh, ended up being a 44-yard completion, so it looks great in the box score, but it was a severely underthrown ball from Matt Ryan that Pierce actually adjusted to shed his defender, came back to the ball, uh, and kind of caught this lame duck pass, and it looks awesome in the box score. So um, Ryan is kind of... A, I would say Ryan is a big piece of the puzzle here, why this offense is floundering. Um, obviously, all the all the onus isn't really on him, but he has not looked good. I thought you were going to say Ryan is washed, which, <laughs> yeah, which true. might be. Yeah, true, true. Uh, let's move to the Titans side. Derrick Henry got rolling here, 22 carries, 114 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, he also had five targets, going three for 33. He's been a little bit more involved in the passing game. I believe he had kind of a bad drop in this game, but, you know, hey, at least he's getting targeted. Uh, and, you know, the Titans kind of got back on track here behind Henry getting the win. Yeah, so last week, Derrick Henry basically ran these bump and, and move routes seven yards down the field, turn around and look for the ball. This week, he actually saw some schemed usage in the past game. He was mm-hmm. fed a couple of screens. He was fed a couple of bump and um, – get three blockers out in front of him and, and get kind of the train. The, the big thing for Henry is you want to get him moving in space, right? Um, yep. So they were actually making a concerted effort to do that through the air this week, which was a positive as, you know, compared to last week where it was kind of just this, it, the box score, he got six targets, but this does mark the second consecutive game with five or more targets, which is a big deal for a back like Derrick Henry. Other so notable. Oh, good. Yeah, sorry, sorry. No, other notable, you know, I guess outcome from this is Derrick Henry entered halftime with 99 yards and a score on the ground and then ended with only 15 more yards rushing. Uh, so the this team is really, 
I mean, what we've seen over the last two weeks is they've taken a, a 24 to 10 lead into half and then not scored another point. Uh, it, they did it last week. They did it this week and kind of just allowing teams to claw back into the game. Um, you would think with the back that they have with how that team is built that they would ride Derrick Henry a little bit harder, uh, but they're really struggling um, with aggression, with offensive play calling in the second half. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill had a pretty poor game here, 137 yards. He did throw for two touchdowns, but, I mean, only having 137 yards, not supporting much in the air. Kind of the one guy that I think anyone is in, like excited about at all was Traylon Burks. But Burks exited this game with an injury. I believe he was on crutches and a boot after the game carted off. Uh, what happened there? Yeah, it was dubbed a foot injury. And the kind of what happened here was it was on a the injury occurred on a second down. And as opposed to in a hurry up offense, as opposed to limp off the field, Traylon Burks decided to stay on the field. He literally ran the route on third down, hopping on one foot down the field. It was insane. Um, yeah, so he <laughs> he removed himself from the game for that was carted off, uh, could not put any weight on the foot. It's being mm -hmm. dubbed a foot injury. He was on crutches and uh, was spotted in a walking boot after the game. So he's going to get some uh, follow-on testing done. Um, no follow-on word just yet as to what his status is, but obviously not what we wanted to see out of Traylon Burks after kind of a, a rough preseason and then uh, first couple games of his career. Chigo Conquo led the way here. Uh three for 38 and a touchdown on three targets. He is a tight end uh, and tight ends, a pretty weak position. Austin Hooper only had one target going one for four. This was he kind of interesting at all. Or is this fluky? This is pretty fluky. Um, he was on the field more so than last week. Um, but that said, this is still a team that's going to be utilizing two to three tight end rotation. So we're probably going to see this, uh, similar to actually the Colts on the other side, where we're we're going to see, I think, just some fluky box scores as we continue. All right, Mark Garcia, thanks so much. Appreciate it, man. The Falcons defeated the Browns twenty-three to twenty. Week three and four marked the first back-to-back -back wins for the Falcons since weeks eight and nine of twenty twenty. So the Falcons, Nick Menzio, are you know getting on a little bit of a roll here. Yeah, I mean. Nothing too exciting from this game. I, I think you could probably take a nap through this one and still know what happened. So uh, <laughs> I don't know where we want to start here. Well, uh, let's see. Let's start with the fact that the Falcons won but refused to pass the ball. They had only 19 attempts, 139 yards for Mariota, uh, and nothing happened in the passing game. Yeah, completed seven passes. Um, uh, this Kyle Pitts thing started to get real concerning, I think. Um, Marcus Mariota. Played 55 snaps, obviously played all every snap. Um, Kyle Pitts was in on 34 of those. Backup tight end Parker Hesse, their blocking specialist, was in on 48 snaps. Um, mm. Pitts was still second on the team with his four targets, but, I mean, he had one catch on, like, the first or second drive for 25 yards and never heard from him again, really. Only ran 12 routes. Parker Hesse ran six routes. Anthony Ferkser ran five routes. So, uh I don't know, man. This is getting concerning on the Pitts thing. Uh, this, that was pretty much the big takeaway from the Falcons passing game. Yeah. Drake London, I mean, I think you could probably spin it like he had a 32% target share in this game. Uh, he had mm -hmm. seven targets, but, like, does that really count for much when you go two for 17? 
Right, yeah. Marietta was just so inaccurate. I think they called run play for like 14 straight runs after he threw a pick. He just he completed seven passes out of 19 throws. I mean, he wasn't wasn't on today, didn't even use his leg, so Marietta didn't do much of anything in the box score. So, yeah, uh, Drake London still, like you said, led the team in targets, but, like, I mean, two catches, 17 yards. Um, yeah, nobody had anything to write home about in this passing game. So in the backfield, Cordero Patterson, he scored a touchdown. He went nine for 38 as a rusher, but he had the third most rushing attempts here. Tyler Algier had 10. Caleb Huntley had 10. Uh, Huntley, by the way, much bigger than I realized. He looked like maybe he was like in a bit of a goal line role. Uh, yeah. Algier also had a little bit of a receiving role. I guess he only had one target maybe, but I thought I would. I saw him out there playing on receiving down. So, so both sides of that seem concerning for Patterson. Yeah, actually, as you mentioned, Algier, eight routes, Cordero Patterson, six routes, Caleb Huntley, one route. But as you mentioned, he scored the goal line touchdown, five-yard touchdown. Um, this backfield is just confusing pretty much every week. I mean, we had Patterson with the big game last week, but he had that knee issue all week. Uh, they kind of spun it as rest, but you could tell in this game they were t- kind of backing off him a little bit um, after he scored that touchdown. I think he only played like a handful of snaps. It was all Algier and uh, Caleb Huntley, so. And it's just, if you're going to have a three-man backfield and a bad offense, I mean, we were kind of talking about this with the Jets a couple weeks ago where they had, when they got Ty Johnson involved, they, I mean, you don't want any, any part of these offenses, but the Jets obviously took Johnson out of the equation the next week. So hopefully Huntley or Huntley's probably the one that's going to disappear the most, but Patterson's got to get back to 100% first. Yeah, thoughts on like Huntley and Algier in, uh, Algier's owned in like deeper leagues, but um mm-hmm. Huntley's probably available everywhere. Thoughts on those guys as potential pickups? Yeah, I mean, I think we'd have to have Patterson, like, suffer a setback of some sort. I don't think he's okay. – and they're not going to be – I don't expect them to be competing in games as much as they were today. I mean, they obviously won the game and they were leading quite a bit, so I don't think they're even going to be able to run the ball as much as they they did today. That makes sense. On the Brown side, Nick Chubb had a really nice game, 19 for 118 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Um two for nine as a receiver on three targets. Uh, Thoughts on Chubb in the backfield? Yeah, I mean, just business as usual for Chubb. Scoring touchdowns, going over 100 yards. has over 100 total yards in all four games so far this season. Um, Five touchdowns in the last three games. Overall RB1 on the year coming into today, and then he backed it up again with over 100 yards on a touchdown. So he was the only guy that showed up on offense for the Browns, other than maybe uh, David Njoku. Yeah, five for 73 for Njoku, uh, seven targets, uh, got used as a, as a rusher. That didn't work. He, he had negative six yards as a rusher, but Hey, I mean, we'll, we'll take the, we'll take the opportunity. Uh, yeah. Thoughts. I mean, and, and people's Jones, I guess should, I should mention had a 42 yard yeah. reception. Yeah. He set up, uh, I think it was Brissett's quarterback sneak touchdown. He had a, like a long catch down to the one yard line. Donovan people's Jones did. Um, but you can never predict, predict his big games. I mean, they seem to come whenever Amari Cooper has his bad games, and then when Amari Cooper has his good games, DPJ disappears. So I think this offense can only support two guys, and it's either one of Cooper or DPJ, and then Njoku. So, I mean, Njoku's got to be – I mean, I don't, how high would you rank this guy as, like, a weekly tight end? I think he's, like, top eight at least now at this point. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it, it's, like, one of those things where, like, at the end of the season, he's going to be – I mean, he, he was literally dropped in tight end premium – like high mm-hmm. stakes leagues. He, he was available in one of our leagues. Uh, so people were like out on him before his big game two weeks ago. Now he seems like not only someone that you should be starting right now, but 
like as you look towards the end of the season, could be like a playoff winning type of tight end. It's it's starting to get exciting with with Njoku. Yeah, I think I actually would. I would play him over Pitts every week, honestly. At this point, oh man, I have no I have no pushback. That's uh, I mean, that's and totally Joku's fair. Playing every snap and running a route on every dropback, and I mean, he's one of the guys Brissett likes and trusts. So I mean, yeah. Uh, David Bell had two for thirty-five here on three targets, and Amari Cooper, as you mentioned, just kind of dotted one for nine on four targets. I guess it's like with Brissett, like you said, he's not going to be able to support that many guys. Cooper was starting to look like someone he could really trust, but that was probably too optimistic for a Brissett weapon. But, you know, are you at all concerned with Cooper or do you feel like he still has that ceiling he flashed early in the year? I'm not concerned. I just think we might have overreacted a little bit to his two big games last couple of weeks and kind of got set up for failure in this one. I mean, yeah, like I, like I said, I, this passing offense can't support more than two guys probably. All right, let's move to the Raiders who defeated the Broncos. 32 to 23. The Raiders have now won five in a row over the Broncos. Josh Jacobs had over 100 yards uh, rushing with two scores for the first time since November of 2020. And that was against the Broncos. So, you know, the Raiders seem to have these guys' numbers here. Yeah, Jacobs. I mean, just a career game for this guy. I think it was his first two touchdown games since week one of last year. Um, Career high in rushing yards. I think he just was barely off his career high in carries in the game. And then he added five catches, 31 yards in, in the receiving game. I mean, he was playing literally every snap. I mean, we kind of expected Zamir White to have a little bit of a role in this backfield at the start of the season. Then Brandon Bolden to be that pass-catching guy. But Bolden got hurt in week one, came back last week. Um, but he just doesn't create any plays in the, in the backfield. So, I mean, Jacobs, he's probably like a top 15 running back i mean going for i mean there's so much uncertainty at the position right now so i mean you gotta just take this guy to the bank and take what he gives you every week yeah the 28 carries i mean it's like i, I know this heading into the week that you know i thought we were going to be seeing like a real committee here and we are not and the you know the 28 carries i think really underlines that zamir white only saw two carries I mean, he went two for 24 so you know that's good for him but I, I didn't think that this kind of commitment to Josh Jacobs was really a possibility. And we've seen a couple of games now where they're like using him as a workhorse rusher. Yeah. I mean, he ran 28 routes on Derek Carr's dropbacks too today. And uh, Brandon Bolden only ran five and Samir wow. White ran zero and Abdullah ran one. So he's just dominating the playing time right now. Uh, what about Devontae Adams here? who had 13 targets, nine for one one yeah, uh, I, they were just force feeding him the ball. I mean, Patrick Sertan was kind of living in his in his hip pocket most of the game. He was breaking up quite a few passes, but they were just kept forcing him the ball. I mean, he came out, come off a couple duds, catches, and yardage wise, I know he scored a touchdown last week, but it was good to see him get back for 100 yards. I think he had like a 38% target share, not quite his week one level where he was at like 48%, but I mean, still super elite. So, I mean, you know what's going to happen every week? They're going to try and force him the ball. So, Matt Collins was the guy that lost out this week. So he had that big game last week and didn't really see much of the ball this week. Are you at all worried about Darren Waller? He had three receptions for 24 yards here. This is after a game, very similar box score last week. We had three for 22, both games, just five targets. Yeah, I was kind of looking at that earlier when I was recapping this game. Um, but no, I'm not really too concerned yet at this point. Um, he still played 60 snaps out of, 75 ran 35 routes on 
he was third on the team in routes behind Hollins who ran 39 and Devontae Adams ran 38. So he's, he's right up there running routes. So, I mean, I'm still, I'm still more confident in uh, Waller than I'd say I am in Pitts. I'll say that. On the Broncos side, we should start with Javante Williams, who left the game with a knee injury. I believe it's believed to be a pretty serious knee injury, I think. Yeah, it uh, looked like his like knee like kind of jammed in the turf and like shifted. I mean, mm-hmm. some people are saying like torn ACL. It could be like anything. I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> gonna have to wait to hear the hear the news on that one. But Melvin Gordon lost another fumble in this one, and the Raiders returned it for a touchdown. He just looks bad. I think he had three carries for eight yards, just looking like a near thirty year old running back at this point. Mike Boone seemed to settle into that Javante Williams role after uh, Williams left. So he'd be the guy that's probably going to be a popular pickup on waivers this week. Do you think Mike Boone has a chance to like be the, the Javante wouldn't be kind of the one a to Melvin Gordon's one B, even though Gordon was playing ahead of him. I'd probably flip that to Gordon one a and then Boone one B. And, but it seems like they like Boone more in the passing game, but Boone just keeps dropping passes. He had a really bad drop on the fourth down. I could have, continue to drive late in the game for the Broncos. And he, he dropped the pass against the Niners. I think it was last week too. Um, so he needs to start playing a little better. I mean, team preseason loves Mike Boone. So everyone wants to see this guy get a chance. So, I mean, this is going to be his chance right here. Yeah. I mean, Melvin Gordon seems intent on, on giving him that chance. He uh, did not catch a ball on one target and had a lost fumble and only rushed for, for eight yards. So he got negative Negative points in a game where Javante Williams was injured. Uh, thanks, Melvin. Uh, in the passing game, uh, Cortland Sutton had 52 yards and a touchdown on seven targets, uh, five receptions. Jerry Judy had 40, uh, four catches, 53 yards and a touchdown on five targets. Uh, and KJ Hamler actually led the team with 55 receiving yards. It was all on one reception and one target. So not, not exactly like a breakout performance, but hey, nice to see Hamler out there. Yeah, KJ Hammer ran three routes, caught that 50-yard or five-yard wow. on one, one of those routes. Um, I hopefully that maybe it gets him a chance to play more going forward, but Kendall Hinton was the wide receiver three in this one. Um, Hamler's long catch, he got beyond the cornerback and the safety. I think he was tagged like the inside the five, and then Russell Wilson ran it in on the next play or two. Um, but um, in this passing game, pretty much as we expected, Cortland Sutton leading the team in targets and catches. Scoring touchdown, Jerry Judy second in line. So nothing out of the ordinary, but I think uh, Albert O, man, it's over for Albert O. One mm. snap. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Someone mentioned uh, in our chat that, you know, it looked like he hadn't played, like his jersey was real clean. I I thought maybe, okay, he's probably not out there a lot. One snap is pretty wild. Greg Dulcich is expected back, I think, pretty soon. So, that's yep. uh, potentially a big deal. Uh, thoughts on this passing? Is it like, should we be excited about, you know, a rookie tight end entering this passing game? Because Russell Wilson here went two for 37. Uh, sorry, 237 passing yards, two touchdowns, uh, 17 of 25 attempts. Not a great game. Yeah, I mean, he has super low volume game, but he was averaging like nine and a half yards per attempt. I mean, a lot of it came on the Hamler deep pass in a couple over 30 yard games, but um, excited about Dulcich. I don't, I, I don't know, man. It seems like they really like these two Eric tight ends, Eric Saubert and Eric Tomlinson. This Tomlinson's the blocker. Saubert's the route runner. Saubert ran 27 routes. They keep throwing him the ball, but he never catches anything. So I don't know. I don't know why they keep trying him out there, but I assume Dulcich. Yeah. Yeah. 
assume Dulcich will supplant him. So maybe, I, I mean, tight end is so thin. I mean, you can take chances on this Dulcich guy. So, I, I mean, I could see it. Well, why was it so low volume for the Broncos? I mean, they lost this game like pretty handily. Why Why would didn't they pass more? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't really have the ball a lot, it seemed. I mean, the Raiders ran just so many more plays than them. Interesting. All right. Well, you know, maybe if they uh, aren't playing a ball control offense who's also beating them badly, we can get we can get a little bit more value out of this Russ Wilson passing attack. But Nick Mencio, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that'll do it for the week four recap podcast. Make sure to check out all the great content that we have on the podcast feed this week, including Pat and Denny, including our week five preview show. And then we'll see you back here next Sunday night, Monday morning for the week five recap podcast. Thanks so much. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.